Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? All right. Hey, we are uh, we're deep into this series on margin, living our lives with margin. I got to tell you, applying this in my life is something that I'm actually doing in a way that I didn't expect to. And uh, it, it, it has, is turning out to be just a wonderful addition to what God is currently doing in my life. And applying margin in different areas of my life is changing certain aspects. I'm watching what he does, what he's doing in my life. And, you know, it's interesting. Margin in our lives is where God chooses to do things. When, when, when we create margin in the area of, of our relationship with God, the first Sunday we talked about that, and then in the area of our relationships, and then we do it in the area of, of, act, of stress, of actually taking the time to recognize worry in our lives, being specific, to look for it and, and, and work on it and get it out of our lives. We create room in these different categories in our life for God to actually do something. In our culture and in our lives, one of the things that we do is we consistently keep adding things into our lives, but we don't stop and take things out. And so our lives get so crowded and so full of things that we don't have time for anything. And so often we actually stop God from being able to work in our lives because we have not created the room for it. This area of margin has is, uh, is just become a wonderful um, topic for me, and this series is one that I am I'm just watching God do changes in my life. I want to talk about, this was the Sunday that I was going to talk about money, and I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a different way than you expect. We're going to talk about contentment. When we get this area of contentment in our lives under control, we will get the entire area of finances in our lives under control. I read a statistic this week that said 70% of Americans are not happy with their job. 70% of Americans are not happy with their job. And the truth of the matter is, the rest of the world around us would love to have those jobs. Other countries on the, most of the other countries on the planet, people would absolutely love to have those, the 70% of jobs that, that, that some of us feel like we're not happy at. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you're a fisherman or, or whether you're a teacher, whatever you do, he says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, God says our, our, our job, the, the very thing that we do, the very, the very thing that we were designed to do, the very position, even in the job that we think we don't like, he says, do it as unto the Lord. Let's just change your thinking on that, he says. Don't, don't be doing it for your boss. Don't, don't be doing it just because you get that paycheck. Do it as unto the Lord. Contentment is margin for the soul. If you're taking notes tonight, you are going to 
this morning, you are going to want to write that down. It is margin for the soul. Contentment will actually make you feel satisfied. It will make you feel full in life. It, it, it will take you to the place that God has designed you to operate in. Look what Proverbs 14.30 says. It is healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. The, the writer is saying envy will destroy your life. But healthy, it's healthy to be content. Mick Jagger says, I, I can't get no satisfaction. And, and he says, I tried, and I tried, and I, and I tried, and I tried. But I can't get no satisfaction. Do you know why? Satisfaction comes from God. True satisfaction comes from It's not something we're born with. There's not a DNA gene that, that kind of puts satisfaction. It's just doesn't. You have to learn it. And Paul digs into this. I want to really land on one, one passage of Scripture mainly at first. And, 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 and Paul covers this whole area. And he's writing in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He's writing to the church in Philippi. And he's writing because they sent him a gift. And for a long time, they hadn't sent him a gift. And, and, and the reason for that is, here, here, here's the deal with Paul. Paul was absolutely brilliant. Paul was, was, was just, God used Paul to write more than half of the New Testament. He was absolutely brilliant. Paul was intentional. When, while he was doing ministry, while he was planning churches, while he was, he was sharing the gospel and he, he was pouring his entire life into that, he was very intentional about not giving the impression that, that, that preaching was something that you could do for money. Now, preachers have to live too, right? They, they, they need, but Paul was, he was so hypersensitive to this, Paul actually made tents on the side. It's one of the things he was able to do. He would make tents and sell them and, and provide his, for himself so that the church would not have to, 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 to foot the bill for his living. And, and, and finally, you know, there were, there, were, there were plenty of churches getting involved, and Paul no longer had to make tents at some, at some point. But, but at this point, Paul is so sensitive and not wanting people to think that this was something you could do for money. And so that's kind of the preface where he launches with this. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been in both, Paul says. Paul was well-schooled, educated to the, to the top of his day. He, he was absolutely brilliant. And Paul goes on to say, I know what it is to, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I have learned the secret. Circle that word secret. I have learned the secret, Paul says, the secret of being content in any and in every situation. He refers to it as a secret. It's almost like it's a mystery, and, and, and you really need to figure this out, Paul's saying. Paul had, Paul had recognized at this point in his life and at this point in following Christ that his power, that God's power, was the strength that he needed in his life. God's power, the reality that no matter what Paul needed, God was going to provide it. Whether 
well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. No matter what the situation is, Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, contentment is not, and there are, there are several things that I want us to write down here. Contentment is not found in what I have. It is not found in my possessions. It's not found in, in, in and we think so often, if, you know, I'll be happy if I can just get that or if I can just get this. And, and so often we get whatever that is we want, and then after a period of time we reckon, well, that really didn't do it. Or it did it for a while, but it really didn't last. It didn't go beyond that. We were eating out the other night and came outside, and there was this absolutely beautiful brand-new red Ferrari just sitting right there. And uh, Karen and I and Chris and we... Chris actually was hoping that someone had purchased it and delivered it there for him, but that didn't end up being the case. And, and you, you know, just looking at that thing, I'm, I started to th guilty. I started to think, man, if I had that, it wasn't for me either. Possessions. You know, we hear truth. So often, we open up God's Word on Sunday mornings, and we open up His, His Word daily in our lives, and we hear truth. But so often, we hear truth, and, and then we keep on going. See, just hearing truth doesn't really change us. Just hearing truth, nothing much happens in our lives just from hearing truth. You know what the difficult and the sad thing is? We usually don't change until there's pain involved. We don't change our financial habits until all of a sudden we're in pain. See, it, it, it so often takes pain in our lives to move us to the place where we're actually willing to change. And that really isn't God's best plan. He would like for us to hear truth and apply it in our lives and live in the benefit of it. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to help us in that process. See, God is at work at your life and at mine. He is working in our lives. I know what it is to have plenty, Paul says. I, I know what it is to be in need. Philippians 4.12, that passage, from right in the middle of that passage, we looked at, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Paul had position. Paul had power. Paul had plenty. And then he began to follow Christ. And then he had all of that and more because God was his source and his power. And whatever situation he was in, Paul said, that's, that's, that's the deal. I know what it is, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he, you know why he says that? Because that is, a, that is a solid biblical truth that God desires every single one of us to get and apply it in our lives. See, Paul was no, was, was, was no, no special receiver of God's gifts. 
no more than you or I, because we are all his children, and he desires us for all. He desires us to live in the practice of this. Happiness and contentment is not found in what I have. The second thing is it's not found in what happens to me. Paul digs into this in this passage of Scripture. You think, well, James, you don't know what's going on in my life. You, don't, you have no idea the things Paul, as he writes to us, he's sitting in prison so often. And he's writing in prison. Not only is he in prison and he's writing these letters to the churches and to us, but he's writing these letters from prison knowing that he's right. He is, he is very soon going to be put to death. Knowing that. And, and you and I think that we, we have a difficult... Paul knows this is the end of it. They are, he knows they are going to execute him. He knows it. And yet he writes this to you and I, so many of his letters that, that, that he writes from prison. Contentment is not found in what happens to us. In, in, the, in verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. See, we need to be careful not to confuse the here and the there. Let me explain. We live our lives here. This is the car that I have. This is the place that I'm living in, an apartment, or this is the house. This is what my health is now. This is what my job is now. This is, this is the here. It's okay to desire something else there. Someday I would like to have a red Ferrari. Someday I would like to have a, 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 a better house. Someday I, I would like to have a better job. Not, not a bad thing. But we need to be so careful not to confuse the two of these. And that's where we sometimes get in trouble. Because we think this is where I am, but when I get here, I will have peace and I will have joy. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not the case. See, Paul's saying, if you, if, if you don't get to the place where you have peace and joy here, you will never get it there. Fine. Paul's saying, God wants you and I to be fully alive. He wants us to, be, to have his peace and to have his joy. And he wants us not to get confused about contentment and desire. Desire is not a bad thing. God created for you and I a culture and a world that revolves around sowing and reaping. That's his design. He has given that to us. But let's not confuse contentment, which is what Paul's saying, I've learned to be content in all things and desire. Third thing, contentment is not found in comparing myself with others. Look what he writes in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves. And then that scripture goes on to say a number of different things, and all of it boils down to him saying, listen, it is not wise to do that. We don't dare to compare ourselves to other people. And what does our culture tell us? Our, cult tell us, our culture tells us, to, it is almost built on comparing ourselves to one another. We watch commercials that tell us these vacations are killer. And we're all thinking, oh, all I get is a weekend trip to Disney or all I... And, and, but I, I, I would love to have that. 
And then there are commercials for Ford pickups and Chevy pickups and Dodge pickups. And we're all, we're all different in what we like, but we're driving our old truck and we see these new ones. And I would love to have that new one, Ford. Some of you are Ford people, some of you are Chevy people, and nothing, nothing will unite Ford and Chevy people except having to go against Dodge people. I'm a, I'm a Ford guy myself because as spiritual as I am, I know that if Jesus was here today, he would be driving an F-150, maybe a Raptor. Deep in your heart, you know I'm right. No Silverado for Jesus. Chevy Silverado. All the commercials about the awards they're getting, these J.D. Powerhouse Awards. Do some research on those awards. They're fake. (laughs) Get your theology right here, guys. This is important stuff. Contentment. We, we, we pursue content. When, when we look at other people, when we compare ourselves, Paul says, don't dare do that. And our culture, I mean, it shows us our houses, cars, vacations, all of it. It, it. it says, this is good, this is better, this is best. This is Dodge, this is Chevy, this is Ford. Over and over again, our culture just lays it out to us. You know what I notice about Jesus? You know what I know about God? When you and I, when, when we fall into this trap of comparison, one of the things that it does is it absolutely denies our uniqueness. Every single one of us is totally unique. Look at the world God has created. Hey, there are no, no two people alike. It, twins, identical twins are different in over a thousand different ways. He was so intentional about variety. Could you imagine sitting here just like where you're sitting right now? And let's just say you turned around and you looked at every other person in here. And every single one of them was was an exact duplicate of you. How boring would that be? I don't care how good looking you are. That would be boring. God was so intentional about our uniqueness. And when we compare, we're questioning his whole design, his whole structure, and and, and all that he's created. When we compare our appearance, we, we tend to drift into inferiority and insecurity. When we compare our possessions, we can become envious. And when we, we compare the troubles in our lives, if we're in a difficult spot in our life, then we start to compare ourselves with other people's lives. We think we, think we have so bad, and we, we slip into self-pity. See, this comparison, comparison thing's a big deal. When, when we compare ourselves with achievements with other people, we, we start to have anxiety. Paul says, don't do this. And in our lives, I wrote down in, you know, it's kind of three different areas that, that we, we kind of are, 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 are introduced to this and three areas that we struggle with. And the first one is, is our community circle. That means our, our, our friends and, and our family and our coworkers, the, the people we do life with. 
and we start to compare ourselves with them, and we, and we slip into this trap. And another area is, is our social circle, our, our close friends, and, and, and social media, fake book. And, and we find our lives saturated with this. And, and see, social media is a place that actually amplifies the problems of comparison. It almost drags us into a whole other dimension. I was at a party, uh, someone in our church, and not too long ago, and we were in the backyard, and all tables were set up, and the music was going, and everybody's just having a great time. And I, I noticed over in the corner of the lot, there was one young girl, and she was holding her phone. You know how, you, and you do know, how some people hold their cell phone, and they're, they're doing a selfie, and they're so conscious about whatever is in the background, or they're very intentional about what's in the background. Didn't mean a hill of beans to her. The only thing that mattered to this girl was the position of her lips. And she stood there, at least 50 different positions of her lips, and took a picture of every one of them. And then she scrolled through them and she would post some. She comes to church here, so she hears this. Social media has the ability to amplify this whole comparison thing in our lives in a huge way. What if, just what if, what, what if we, we let our social media drift to the place where we only engage in social media when it's going to build others up? How about that? How about we are intent as followers of Christ? Because this is probably what Jesus would do that we are intentional about building others up. Maybe that my presence on social media would only promote the body of Christ or the cause of Christ or, or doing good. Look what Galatians 6, Galatians chapter 6. If anyone thinks they are, they, they, they are something that they are not, they deceive themselves. If you think that you are more than you actually are, you're only deceiving yourself. You know what that means? That means you're lying to yourself. Why would we even consider doing that? And yet we find ourselves sometimes in that place. And then he goes on to say, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. In other words, they can be honest with themselves. And that's truth. And if you're living in truth and if you're honest with yourself, you live in the benefit of that. Because that's where God would desire us to be. Without comparing themselves to someone else. Our social circles. We're so tempted to drift into comparison. And then there's FOMO. Somebody asked me, what was FOMO? And I simply said, ask any millennial. They will tell you exactly what FOMO. FOMO is the fear of missing out. The fear that someone else is, is, is going to have something, and we're going to miss out on that. And Peter did this, and Jesus called him on it. Look, in, 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 here, here's what happened with Peter in, in John 21, 21. It says, when Peter saw him. Now, here's the deal. Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he mentioned something about John. And, and, and something that, that, that kind of gave them the idea that John was going to live longer. And, and Peter says to Jesus, well, what about him? 
Lord, what about him? Peter, right here, Peter's dealing with FOMO. And Jesus calls him and he says, that's nothing to you. You follow me. Peter actually, comparison, this fear of missing out caused Peter to get distracted from his calling with Jesus right there with him. Jesus said, no, no, not going to have it. And he calls him out on it. Let's look at some action steps together. These are straight from this passage of Scripture that, that Paul gives us. And the first one is put your hope in God. Let's put our hope in God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich. And Paul is giving advice to Peter, to, 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 uh, to, uh, to Timothy here who is actually getting ready to lead the church, and he's actually leading part of the church now. But Paul, Paul is, is, the, is Timothy's mentor, mentor, and he's raising him up, and, and he's giving him advice. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hopes in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You need to circle that word enjoyment. We, we, we don't recognize that God actually wants us to enjoy things. Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying, let's put meaning over money. Wealth is fine. Pursue wealth. That's great. But God is certain. Wealth is not certain. Our economy is moving here in America. Our economy is doing well. It's, it's gonna, I, I just personally believe it's going to do well for a while. There's a problem, though, that nobody wants to look at, and that's the fact that we're carrying and paying, paying uh, interest on $21 trillion of debt that sooner or later somebody's got to deal with. I heard just recently this week uh, uh, that, that California, New York, and Michigan are all financially bankrupt don't have the ability to come out of it. So at some point, probably our federal government or whatever, somebody's going to, they're going to have to file bankruptcy and, and somehow work their way through that and start, who knows how that's all going to happen. And if they're relying on our federal government and we're already $21 trillion of debt and every single day it goes up, what Paul is saying here is 100% accurate. God is certain. Wealth is not certain. I can remember hearing from my parents years ago when I, when I was a teenager and seeing the pictures in Germany. And I don't remember if it was before World War I or after World War I, but I remember clearly one picture of a guy pushing a wheelbarrow to the store. He was going to do his grocery shopping, and this wheelbarrow had bundles of German marks, bundles of them. Inflation had gotten so far out of control, their money was almost worthless. And if, you're, if you and I are going to put our hopes in, in, in economics, it is not certain. Only God is certain. I'm not preaching gloom and doom. I'm just telling you what Paul said. The second thing, the second action step for, for us to get a handle on contentment is focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Focus, see, when we focus on the things that we don't have, it leads to discontentment. 
when we focus on just and being grateful for the things that we have, it leads to contentment. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you've got to circle that word thanksgiving, because when we are thankful, we are learning to be content. We are taking the baby steps of being content. We're walking down the path toward contentment. Every path has a destination. When we're focusing on what we have and we're being thankful, we are on the path to contentment. Don't be anxious about anything, he said, but with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, enjoy what you have. God has given it to you for enjoy. Live in the now and learn to be content there. There is coming, and there may be where you want to be, and you'll get there, but if you're not content here, you'll never be content there. 1 Timothy 6, 17, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So let's focus on what we have, not what we don't have, and let's invest in what lasts forever. Invest in things that will last forever. I really believe that's why God tells us in Malachi and all through Scripture to, to bring your tithe to the storehouse, to, to bring, bring, bring it here to the storehouse and give it. You know why? Because this is, a, this is investing in forever. It's investing in our... See, we're not going to take our money to heaven, but we are going to take our character to heaven. And not, not only are we going to take our character, but we're going to take other people with us to heaven. And that all happens because you and I are faithful in our giving. First Timothy 6, 18 through 19. Look what he says. Command them to do good. Again, this is Paul teaching Timothy what to teach. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation. They'll build a foundation in their life that God will build on all through our lives and on into eternity for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Underline those last two words. The life that is truly life. That's where he wants us to live. There was a guy in our church for years who uh, was in the sound booth for years and played keyboard up here for years, and, and he was a, a speechwriter for Bank of America. He had his office downtown up on, on top of the Bank of America building, and um, uh, just a wonderful prof professional guy. Dan Evans, some of you know him. He right now is actually one of the missionaries that we support. Poor. He's in the Philippines. He met a young lady and married her. She was Filipino. They went together to the Philippines. They are missionaries in the Philippines. And when Dan left, he said to me, he said, I'm, I'm probably 100% sure that I will die there. He, he, he left. He, he had a great job. He had a, a nice house right here in Glendale. Dan sold his house, sold his truck, sold his RV, sold all of his stuff, left his job. He and his wife went to the Philippines. They're serving in, the, in, in the, really the jungles of the Philippines as missionaries, giving his life for something that will last forever. That's what God calls us to do here with our lives. Let's just live our lives as living sacrifices. Something that'll last forever. Command them to do good, he said. 
And the fourth thing is find your sufficiency in Christ. Just kind of want to wrap it up with this. Find our sufficiency in Christ. The Apostle Paul, uh, three times in, in, in Scripture, refers to his thorn in the flesh. Maybe you've been following Christ for a long time, and you, you, you know this story. You know all about this. And the, the deal is there was, there was something that Paul struggled with. It wasn't just, you know, a, 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 a light issue. It was a pretty intense issue. Bible scholars don't know what it was. There are a number of different things. Some feel like he had a real deformity, deformity that affected his face. Some feel that it was an issue. But nobody really knows. But what we do know is three different, not just, not just on a Thursday in May, no, Three different seasons of Paul's life, he really struggled with whatever this issue was. And Paul, this is the guy who's praying for people and they're being healed, doing miracles like crazy. Three different seasons of his life, his, his appeal to God was to remove this. And it wasn't even appeal so that, so that he could be more comfortable. It was an appeal so that Paul could actually do ministry better so that he wouldn't be hampered by this. And Paul says, God's response to him was so clear. No, your grace, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, what I want you to do is learn to manage your issue. And you're going to have to live with that. And Paul writes this. It's by God's grace, Paul says. And Paul says, after that, he says this. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can even learn to manage this issue, this difficulty that God is choosing not to take away. Last night as I was looking at my message, and we, Chris and Karen and I were, were talking about this, and I read this fourth point to Chris, and I said, what's your response to that? How, how would you illustrate it? And he referred to something that I could instantly relate to. He said, you know, in Africa, in the jungles of Africa, and he shared about believers, people who had come to Christ, and how content they were, how peaceful they were, the joy that they had. See, they don't have all the stuff that we have to confuse us. They have nothing. And they're in the jungle. And what do they have? They have this peace and joy that is alive in their lives. And what he saw in Africa, I saw in South America, in the jungles of Venezuela, in the rainforest, with the natives who didn't have clothes on except for now shorts because the missionaries were providing them. And they had this peace. The exact story that God was doing in Africa, he was doing in the rainforest. And he's doing it all around the world. You and I struggle more because we have so much stuff and so many things. But it is this peace and joy and contentment and we lean into it. We, we grow into it and we find ourselves in it at times. But then we get distracted by shiny things. And, and, and we drift out of it. And this, that's what Paul's saying. I can do all things. I can even do that through Christ who strengthens me. Our sufficiency is found in Christ.
the one big reminder, as you and I leave here this morning, my, my big reminder is God is with you. Guys, Karen and I have been here 19 years, 18 years. Do you guys, do you guys have a few pictures that I, I grabbed? I was sitting at my desk this morning studying this message. Here's what I know. He wants to do this in all of our lives. What's the next picture? That's a few years later. It's Julia, Wesley, Karen, and I. What's the next picture? Wesley, Julia, and Karen. And then there's another picture. That's my mom, and that's my dad. Do you know why I put these pictures up here? Because when I was a little kid, my dad was pastoring a church. He'd started a church in Queens in New York. He was there serving for 56 years. He retired when he was 80 years old. But when I was a little kid in that church, and I've told, I've told you this so many, a number of times. My grandfather gave me a birthday card with $5 in it. And I opened it up and I took the $5 bill out and I said to my dad, when are we going to the store? And my dad said, you know what? And he stopped and he explained tithing to me. He said, you know that since you're a Christian and Jesus is your Savior, and then he opened up God's word and he began to share about tithing with me at that age. And it was so plain and simple. If God allows you to get a dollar, you take 10 cents and you give it back to God. And he shared Malachi with me. And he shared this with me and I listened and I thought, okay, that makes sense. And from that day to now, I have never not done that. I have always given the tithe, and we're enjoying giving beyond that now. Let me tell you something. My mom and my dad, five kids, all of them serving God today. God blessed them. Karen and I live a life, Wesley, we've grown up here for the last 18 years, watching God at work in people's lives and in our lives. It's a heritage. And if you say to me, James, but I don't have that, I would say to you, but God wants to start it in and with you. And he is flat out dead serious about it. And he is with you, and he loves you, and he put his Holy Spirit to live inside of you to make sure that this could happen. Choosing to trust him being content in what we have, investing in things that last forever. Let's pray. Stand with me this morning. Father, thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for not leaving us to flounder and figure out our walk with you and our life with you and what it means to be a Christian, but for so intentionally preserving your word so that we would have the ability to look at it and learn and grow, and having your Holy Spirit here to grow and teach us in our walk with you. 
Thank you, Father, for our church family here this morning and for what you're at, at work, the things that you're doing in our lives and the things that we're seeing happen. We love you. We are so grateful for our relationship with you and for who you are. Lord, bless our church family as we walk this out in our lives, as we grow into these areas of margin, and we allow you to change us. Continue to do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Everyone said.